So good morning. We're back after a week off. Every time I take a week off, and it's not very often, I feel like it's been a month <laughs> since I was here. It's kind of funny how that works. And you're welcome for the chairs. So now we have comfy chairs. Uh, maybe the class size will double. I don't know. Maybe that was the reason. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> you know, hopefully if your keister is, is happy, maybe the rest of you is happy. So Today we're going to jump right into the Word, and we're going to end early because we have a very special uh, uh, moment today in the service that we're going to be honoring the two new elders that are, are being appointed to lead our church, and we're going to make sure we go in there and do that. So why don't we jump right in? <clears throat> we're going to r- start with 1 Samuel 25. Who can volunteer for me today to read that? And if your microphone is on your table, bringing it closer and pointing it right at you is... Don't be afraid. <laughs> Otherwise, i got to turn your mic way up. So, okay. I'll right. do it. That's Thank right. you, ma'am. Okay, so now Samuel died, and all the Israelites met and had a time of sadness for him. Then they buried him at his home in Ramah. David moved to the desert of Moan, or Maon. A man in Maon had an, had, who had land at Carmel was very rich. He, had, he was cutting the wool off his sheep at Carmel. His name was Nabal, and he was a descendant of Caleb. His wife was named Abigail, and she was wise and beautiful, but Nabal was cruel and mean. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was cutting the wool from his sheep. So he sent ten young men and told them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him for me. Say to Nabal, May you and your family and all who belong to you have good health. I have heard that you are cutting the wool from your sheep. When when your shepherds were with us, we did not harm them. All the time your shepherds were at Carmel, we stole nothing from them. Ask your servants and they will tell you. We come at a happy time, so be kind to my young men. Please give anything you could find for them and to your son David. <clears throat> when David's men arrived, they gave the message to Nabal, but Nabal insulted them. He the son of Jesse. Many slaves are running away from their masters today. I have bread and water, and I have meat that I killed for my servants who cut the wool. But I won't give it to men I don't know. So David's men went back and told him all that Nabal had said. Then David said to them, Put And David put on his also. About 400 men went with David, but 200 men stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's servants said to Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the desert to greet our master, but Nabal insulted them. These men were very good to us. They did not harm us. They stole nothing from us during all the time that we were out in the field with them. Night and day they protected us. They were like a wall around us while we were with them caring for the sheep. Now think about it and decide what you can do. Terrible trouble is coming to our master and all his family. Nabal is such a wicked man that no one can even talk to him. So Abigail hurried. She took 200 loaves of bread, two leather bags full of wine, five cooked sheep, a bushel of cooked grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and put all these on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband. Abigail rode her donkey and came down towards the mountain hideout. There she met David and his men coming down towards her. David had just said, It's been property in the desert. I made sure none of his sheep were missing. I did good to him, but he has paid me back with evil. May God punish my enemies even more. I will not leave one of Nabal's men alive until morning. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed face down on the ground before him. She fell at David's feet and said, My master, let the blame be on me. Please let me talk to you. Listen to what I say. My master, don't pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. He's like his name. His name means fool, and he is truly a fool. But I, your servant, didn't see the men you sent. The Lord has kept you from killing and punishing anyone. As surely as the Lord lives, and as surely as you live, 
May your enemies become like Nabal. I have brought a gift to you from for the men who follow you. Please forgive my wrong. The Lord will certainly let your family have many kings because you fight his battles. As long as you live, may you do nothing bad. Someone might chase you to kill you, but the Lord your God will keep you alive. He will throw away your enemies' lives as he would throw a stone from a sling. The Lord will keep all his promises of good things for you. He will make you leader over Israel. Then you won't feel guilty or troubled because you killed innocent people and punished them. Please remember me when the Lord brings you success. David answered Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your wisdom. You have kept me from killing or punishing people today. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, he has kept me from hurting you. If you hadn't come quickly to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would have lived until morning. Then David accepted Abigail's gifts. He told her, Go home in peace, and I have heard your words, and I will do what you have asked. When Abigail went back to Nabal, he was in the house eating like a king. He was very drunk and in a good mood. So she told him nothing until the next morning. In the morning, when he was not drunk, his wife told him everything. His heart stopped, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord! Nabal insulted me, but the Lord has supported me. He has kept me from doing wrong. The Lord has punished Nabal for his wrong. Then David sent a message to Abigail, asking her to be his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David sent us to take you so you could become his wife. Abigail bowed face down on the ground and said, I am your servant. I am ready to serve you and to wash the feet of my master's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and went with David's messengers, with her five maids following her, and she became David's wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, so they were both David's wives. Saul's daughter Michael was also David's wife, but Saul had given her to Patil, son of Laish, who was from Galliam. Thank you. That was a big one. Thank you. I didn't even tell you it was that long. I'm like, I'm I'm just going to pretend it's normal. (laughs) So what are... What are the what are the key issues here? Well, David provided a service, but he That's didn't it. get paid for it. Well, That's he wasn't it. going to get paid mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's and you said it exactly right. Um, what was that service? Protection. So it's kind of funny because <laughs> the way it works. In antiquity, you could almost, and I, and I, you know, I always make this, if I have two references in this class, it's usually either to one of two movies that I love. <laughs> what are those movies? You've been here. The Godfather. Gladiator. Gladiator. And The Godfather. And The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> two horrible movies that I love, but I don't know why, it's just, it feels sometimes like it's, it's good to make the connection. In antiquity, <clears throat> the concept of the state, there is no concept of the state. The modern government of the world is the state. You are a central bureaucracy of leadership that has a whole system of administration that runs like an engine and protects what typically is defined borders for your country or your state. The US is the United States of America. Europe, state, country, it's synonymous. And so today we don't really even understand this concept of what is happening pretty much in all of human history up to probably I would say even to some degree the 20th century which is you pay protection money to the biggest thug that's running the area so whoever has the most money and and vis-a-vis the most military power is the guy, and it's almost always the guy, that you pay protection money to, and he protects you. 
What does that sound like? It's the Godfather, right? <laughs> you know, yay, Yukon, you know, I'm going to protect your store. So you give me 5% of all your profits and I'm going to leave you alone. Well, he's not, <laughs> in most cases, he's not saying he's going to protect you. What is he saying? If you don't pay me, <laughs> I'm going yeah, to be the one you need protection from. But here is a case <clears throat> that's kind of, it's yes, protection money. However, it's, the, it's, the, it's, kind of the, it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of not. What is going on here is David is essentially acting as the king of Israel, but because he is not now yet <clears throat> the only king of Israel, there's still another guy out there. What's his name? Saul. Saul. Saul is still out there. He still is in command of what you would consider the, the armed forces of Israel, meaning the, <clears throat> the, the military of Israel. So Saul, ruling with his pack of military leaders, is, is still, you know, kind of so-called the legitimate, uh, <clears throat> to some degree, kingdom of Israel. But, but David has been anointed to be the king. Now, what we see this as, as to be the king when Saul is no longer the king anymore, and David continues to make this argument that Saul is still the anointed leader of Israel. And I, and we'll read this in 26, I, who, who is it for me, David, to kill the anointed ruler of Israel? He is still on the throne. So David is essentially acting as king over his people, but the only way he can do this is as a guerrilla fighter. What does guerrilla fighter mean? I'm going to ask our military expert here. They are very well versatile. They go in and out anywhere, and uh, they, they strike without being known, and they move. They, they don't have to wear a uniform, essentially. Yeah. They just uh, they wear whatever they have. Now, if you're old like, like me, you remember the days of the Cold War and the Afghanistan War, um, which caused, you know, and I'm not going to get into all of this, a lot of problems and ended up hurting the United States very severely in the, in the 21st century. But what happened in the 1980s was essentially the Soviet Union rolled into Afghanistan with their hundreds of thousands of troops and tanks and, and military equipment. And the Afghanistan Mujahideen fought a successful guerrilla war against the Soviet Union. A few thousand ragtag bunch of fighters, poorly trained, poorly equipped, well, until America got involved, fighting what was the biggest army on the planet at the time, which was the Soviet Union. And they won. And they won because they fought through what we call guerrilla tactics. So today, it's kind of, we don't think about this as much because this doesn't happen, at least in the news as much. But asymmetric warfare, fighting not direct confrontation, but indirect confrontation, sabotage, um, uh, d damaging infrastructure, surprise attacks, getting them in, you know, when, they're, when the troops are moving, you'd wait in the pass and then you'd bomb them. You know, now all the stuff that we hear from, from the days of Iraq start to make sense. This works. This is the only way that David can fight a successful war. Now, you read this very interesting passage and, and a lot of times I like to ask you, you guys, why is this in the Bible? Why is what you just read in the Bible? I'm going to ask you before I tell you my opinion. <laughs> my, re my reaction as reading that was like, wow, that's a really cute story to read. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, wow, David's tough and mm -hmm. Nabal said, I'm not going to do this. So David's like, oh, I'm going to go get 400 men. Yeah. I'm just thankful that that's not happening today. <laughs> You know, okay. I've been going. I've had I have two doctor appointments a week now by Mercy, and I drive by the same guy with the cardboard sign mm -hmm. that you know, disabled vet, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
and I don't give him any money because mm -hmm. I've been cynical like that or whatever. And I'm glad he's not going out and saying, mm -hmm. "Oh, you didn't give me money, so I'm going to just, you know, grab some couple hundred of my friends and swing by." It's good, you know. And it's then fair. it's fair. So then the guy dies, and he's just like, "Oh, well, I guess I'll marry his wife." <laughs> <laughs> We'll get what that. kind of craziness is this? It's crazy. It's a different world, isn't it? And it's hard sometimes for us to understand. Um, why else? Why? Why? So we're getting there. What I got from it was by her doing what she did, she saved David from having regret later. Ooh, if he would have done one. what he was headed to do. I like that. She was what? The Bible even says it. What kind of woman was she? Intelligent. Smart and intelligent and beautiful. And they said the intelligent one first. So she's shrewd, she's wise. I like that, Lorna. What else, why else is this here? Why would you include it? Let's say you're the author of 1 Samuel, why would you put this in here? Because it's kind of interesting, to say the least. It really shows God's hand in all of it. Okay. I mean, just the fact that Nabal died, mm -hmm. you know, and David was like, oh, I didn't have to do it, God took care of it is good. Just think about what's going on here and the fact that, and this, this is my, my perspective on it too, and all of what you've just said I, I think is true. Um, I think God is making the point here that David, although he is not on the quote throne, and at this point we have no evidence there even is a throne. Um, there is no temple. There is no um, palace yet. Um, <clears throat> It really kind of tells me that David is still trying to act as the king with what he has in his possession. He has been given very little at this point to work with. He's just got a ragtag bunch of people. Um, he's on the run. He's still on the run after you know many days, months, weeks, um, what have you. But he's still trying to act as king, and he's trying to protect the Israelites. Now remember, too, it wasn't just David you have to worry about here in, in a certain sense. Who else is out there? His men. Who else is out in the, you know, in Canaan? Who else is out in the, in the hills of, of, of the Judean Israelite hills? Philistines. Philistines. Dude, we got Philistines. Amorites. Amorites. <laughs> Amalekites. All the ites. Jebusites. Manyites. <laughs> a lot of scaryites out there. Well, maybe not only David trying to act like as king, even though he doesn't, he's not necessarily sitting on a throne, but maybe... Uh, Abigail sees him as king as well. She already knows the promise. <clears throat> promise? <laughs> this is kind of interesting, too. The promise that God has made to David to be the king is already out. If Abigail knows it, you better believe a lot of people know it. Not everybody, though. Or they, not they everybody knows it, or what? Embraces it. Embraces it. Nabal's like, who's this son of Jesse guy? Whatever. Why, why would Nabal, or Nabal, why would he be so down on David, given what you know about Nabal? Maybe he liked the way Saul was ruling, or he was on Saul's side, or what is This right is exactly <laughs> it. Who, who is profiting right now, in the current order? Nabal. You better believe, dude is making hand over fist money. He's, he's drunk out of his mind. He's got all these cattle and livestock and, and crops, he is doing great. This is, folks, this is exactly the modern era. You can, you can totally see a parallel here. 
the people who are benefiting from whatever current structure is in place are the people that are deathly afraid of changing it. Who is really afraid of the threat of Jesus? <laughs> Pharisees. People who know that they're not living right. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. It was a trick question. Everyone, because it challenges you. It's a challenge to the current order. That's why I think this is in here, amongst the other reasons. Um, because it shows exactly what's going on in the world. And now, um, <laughs> let's talk about some of this. <clears throat> um, I want to talk, talk about this idiom. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insult you, so if you don't like this, close your eyes. The phrase in what it is, mm-hmm. male, this is verse 22. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. That's not the Hebrew. That's not the Hebrew. The Hebrew is those who blank on a wall. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what you think it means. It means those who have the equipment to do that onto a wall. And usually it means dogs. Because dogs are the ones that tend to, you know, fire hydrant. This is a common idiom that is used to refer to um, a lower class of male, human. Before you get bent out of shape, this is actually used several times in the Old Testament. Once by God himself in 2 Kings. So this this is kind of a good reminder that the Bible translation you have in English is sometimes, uh, how do I say this? The uh, yeah, the uh, the Good Morning America version maybe I don't know. Sanitized. What else do you take from this? Let's talk about David and his wives. He's already married. Who did he marry? First, Saul's Saul's daughter, daughter, Michelle. Michelle. It's Michelle, folks. Michelle. He already married her in, I think, chapter 18. But after Michelle helps David to escape from the wrath of Saul, it's it's clear that he he probably hasn't seen her again since then. What did Saul do during this time? (laughs) He didn't recognize that as real. (laughs) You can give to this other guy. Shows you how things work back then. So now this is actually, he's been married three times now. Um, You can draw from that what you want. Uh, The Old Testament is pretty clear. Um, Marriage is between one man and one woman. There are times in the Old Testament when the Israelites did not honor that. Um, And often that leads to horrible consequences. I mean, you can just look to the patriarchs here who tended to do this and just see all of the problems that happened from it. And even Jesus makes a very, you know, a couple of times in the New Testament, some very biting words about, about marriage and about the sanctity of marriage. Um, <clears throat> this too will bite David. And, and you know, we start to see the, the women. So here's Ahinoam. Um, there's Abigail. Who are the offspring? Well, some people that are going to come back here in 2 Samuel to be a kind of a big deal. Amnon, Solomon, um, Hiliab, so on and so forth. Okay, we need to read the next piece here. Sorry to race through it, but we have to leave early today. I found it interesting. Yep. She just kind of whipped up a, you know, 200 loaves of bread, <laughs> five cooked sheep, you know, 
500 clusters of raisins. It just, where's that come that's from? That's good. Yeah. That's not just sitting around. You want this? Yeah, that shows like just how wealthy Nabel was. Yeah. Because like, yeah, who just had And she didn't even, and he didn't even know. <laughs> I mean, she could go get all the stuff and he's like, he didn't even know about it. Yeah, it's good. He was drunk. <laughs> Very merry, making merry. Any other comments before we move on? Do chapter 26, read the whole thing. One through 25, who can do that for me? I can give it a whirl. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> the Ziphites uh, went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hill of... <coughs> Hikola, which faces Jeshimon. So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hikola, facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army and camped around him. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard the Lord, the king, your Lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die, because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may the Lord may be okay, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go, serve other gods. 
Now do not, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea, as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. Now, lest we forget, <laughs> the same thing happened in chapter 24. David spared Saul's life the first time. And Saul was deeply grieved, and he said, Oh, I'm sorry, David, my son, which it's not his son anymore if he gave his wife away. Uh, and I have treated you terribly. Let's be reconciled. And so David gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home, but David went his own way. Hmm. Here we're right back to it again. Right back to it. Kind of sounds like a couple of politicians shaking hands and smiling. It's good. Congratulations, Mr. Biden. That's <laughs> good. Not meaning a single word about it, but, you know, Saul couldn't do anything. Yep. If What would happen if he did something? Mm -hmm. I mean, David's got a huge following. Yeah. He'd risk his own, his own status in the, in, the, in the country. And, um, you know, what kind of example would it set to his own followers? Here's David doing something nice and generous, and I repay him by killing him. This is a good, this is a really good point, Steve. Think about this for just a minute. David has access to Saul when he's by himself. But he doesn't choose to tell Saul all of this by themselves. He didn't wait for him to go do his business in the cave again. Right? Remember that? He, he gets the entire army woken up. The Hebrew pronoun you here is plural. So David intentionally stands on a hill and addresses the entire army. Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Why is he making a public spectacle of this? Well, everyone should know he's not the problem. Yes! <laughs> and what else? And how, show, show how ineffective he is. And also, I think by doing that, he is gaining respect among Saul's <coughs> who others. He had an opportunity to take him out and he didn't do it. Maybe Saul's not, not right. Well, okay. Saul's going to lie, well, lie about him yeah. if he just talked to Saul indirectly. Right. So. Yeah. Kind of okay. puts Saul in a position where he doesn't have a choice. And I see, I see a little bit here where kind of David's righteousness is starting to rub off on Saul a little bit. Okay. Like, forcibly maybe, but not, I mean, by whatever means, right? It doesn't really, really matter. What's that? It really made Saul look like a fool. Mm -hmm. It would have been and better for him if they would have killed him. Yeah. And uh, then it would be something for his army to rise up and, you know, and have vengeance over Saul, but he didn't. He chose not to. And, made Saul like a fool, and he had nowhere to go but had to go back. It, it, it kind of, for me, it kind of redeems the God's reputation as a <coughs> punisher, you know, mm -hmm. a punitive God that he's always out to kill, 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 mm -hmm. kill. I mean, that's what we read and read and read, yep. read in the Old Testament. That's not as hard. Yep. I like that. I don't remember reading anywhere where it, David is asking God 
do you want me to kill Saul? He's always leaving that in God's timing. If I'm going to be king, God will take care of everybody else. Care is telling him to. Pardon? Everybody That's else exactly is telling him to. it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. I'll do it for you. Yep. Yeah, right. And David always tells him no. Because David's clean at he's that point. He's like, ah, he did it. It wasn't me. Yeah. That'd be easy for me to just go, ah, it was him. How hard is it? Folks, it's not like his enemies were telling him to kill Saul. It's not like the foreign governments were telling him to kill. Who was telling David to kill Saul? His own men. And they his were even telling him they were hearing from God to do it. Yes. That. Well, I think God is telling you to kill Saul. Yeah, God has delivered him unto you at this time. Let's take care of it. And he even used unto you, and that sounds official. <laughs> I was praying in my prayer walk this morning. <laughs> Can't you ripped the that. calendar off, and the saying was, you should kill Saul today. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, don't know, I think you can go down a rabbit hole. Come on. By we killing, never do that. By, <laughs> killing, by killing him, wouldn't that, say, wouldn't that in a way, in a sense, saying that God made a mistake of anointing Saul in the first place? That is one. I think that's legitimate. And we remember the, the, the words, and this is where you've got to be really careful with the translation. <clears throat> God regretted making Saul king. But it's not regret in the sense of mistake, because that's not the Hebrew word. God did not say he made a mistake. He said he regretted, meaning he was sad, right? God did this for a reason. I get back to this whole thing. Careful what you ask for. And sometimes God will give you what you ask for, if only to teach you a lesson. <laughs> and he doesn't have to be happy about it. Look, for those of you who have children, if you've ever disciplined your children, and I had to do it this week, sometimes you feel desperately sad that you had to do it. It's early. <laughs> you came in yeah, 20 minutes ago. <clears throat> and how sad do you have? I grieve. I have grieved before for having to discipline my children. But I had to do it. I had to do it. And sometimes you have to do it. A lot of times you have to do it. It doesn't mean that God made a mistake. And I totally see what you're saying here, Roger, that that, that, would, that would kind of maybe send the wrong message that God had made a mistake. What other message would it have sent if now kings are assassinating each other? Forced. Say it again. They're forcing their way in. Yeah. yeah. And then it's okay to do it. So this is, do it to David, too. And a couple hundred years from now, that will be the norm in Israel and Judah, that assassinating the guy on the throne is the way you get to power, and that leads to both of those kingdoms being destroyed. You wouldn't have the, uh, the hearts of the men, I don't think, as much as he did if he would just take them off. How easy is it for us to, and again, try and be careful here, fear and control will only get you <clears throat> the people's kind of, uh, how do I say this? I don't want to say vote. Fear and intimidation will only get people on your side for a very short period of time. It only works for a short period. And what people in our modern era are forgetting every day is that propaganda and blasting millions with their message and inciting fear through various means only works in a very short period of time. It only works for a very short period. Because why? You haven't won their hearts. You haven't won their hearts. And I, I totally agree with this. By making this public statement, David is trying to win the hearts and minds of the people. The people. I think we can think that, I don't know, in, in, in First Samuel anyway, it makes it sound like, you know, David, 
it, this isn't hard for David to do, you know? <laughs> it wasn't hard for him to just leave Saul and not kill him right there or whatever. But then when you read the Psalms, like, he has a lot of, like, emotional struggle with yeah. being on the run yeah. and having people against him mm-hmm. and all this. And so I think when we read this passage, it doesn't sound like he's as, you know, emotional as he probably was. But, you know, none of this was easy to mm-hmm. be on the run and mm-hmm. away from home and... Yeah, your men are starving. You just had to go and basically threaten a guy so you could feed your, your troops so they didn't die. Let me, uh, let me bring this to a, bring it down to a different level. Yep. So if, if, I'm, if I take part in gossip mm. and I've found somebody that will gossip with me, as soon as I walk away from that conversation, that guy's probably talking about me to somebody else. It's kind of funny how this works. So I... So yeah, for the for the meantime, right now, mm-hmm. I'm kind of enjoying this. Oh yeah, I saw him too, and he was blah blah blah. And then I turn around and go, wait a minute. <coughs> if I'm if he's talking about others, he's talking about me too. Same here. Exactly if, right. If David's gonna kill, everybody's looking over their shoulder from now on. That's exactly it. And then maybe I'm next. <coughs> Everyone always assumes that <laughs> no one's gonna cheat on them. I, I dated a married person, but they would never cheat on me. Right. You know exactly. how that goes. And, you know, the marriage thing, it's, it's, in a, it's in military too. I stab you in the back. Well, who's going to stab me in the back? Right? What else do you take from this? Those who live by the sword. Yeah, that's it. Yes. That's it. Exactly. Exactly it. I just find uh, David's example just. When you ever ran up the example of righteousness, how much of an example he really is, of how much he trusts in God for everybody that's watching. Yeah. He just absolutely has his trust and mm-hmm. faith in, in God and he's going to take care of there's, a, there's almost this little sense of ego there, too, though. Like, I see. Like, na 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 You know, I could have. Here's, <laughs> here's your you know, corner of your clothes. Right. He does like having theatrical moments. Like that was... He is, he's kind of a diva, isn't he, David? (laughs) He likes to be up on stage. Well, he's got a spear. You know, what was being lobbed at David all these years? He's got that spear now. I I think he was setting up a court. Okay. I think he was setting up a court. He did it in public. And he came in as a predator because he had the two witnesses, you know, the Mm -hmm. spear and the jug. Oh, you're coming at me, trying to kill me, saying I owe you something? Really? I, I got two witnesses to say I spared your life tonight. Well, that's oh, an interesting way to look at it. You know? Are you sure you want to continue this? Like that. How many I'm other happy. instances do we have in the Old Testament and New Testament, daily life of people taking things into their own hands? Mm-hmm. You know, Moses, Abraham. I mean, you can name all of mm-hmm. the... Uh, the main characters that we tend to hold up and idolize, and David has really taken it to a whole different level of, I'm not going to do this on my own. This is going to be a God thing. There's not going to be a doubt about it. You know, I, I don't need to sleep with my handmaid to yeah. fulfill God's promise of having a child. You know, I, <clears throat> I, I don't need to take things into my own hands. And, and I think this is getting to where, you know, God says David has a heart after his. I, I think this is what separated David from everybody else. You know, prior to David and since David. I mean, there's, and, there's never been another David. And yet like you're on. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> David, 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 David
<laughs> does all of that. You're just saying he didn't. No, it's good right up to here. <laughs> exactly. We just take tomorrow for the rest of the match. That's our lives, though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, <coughs> gosh, we work at it. And yeah. Thank God it, our righteousness is granted, not burned. How do we apply this to our own lives in closing? What are you going to take from this this week? I mean, I can definitely see a takeaway of, you know, having reliance on God, not reliance on yourself, and being true to what God is leading you to do and waiting for him to show you that versus just taking off and going on your own. Okay. How do you know what God wants you to do? Through prayer and reflection in his word. What else? That's good. Sometimes it's through others' wisdom. I like this. Others. The I problem like is this. here, David had others telling him to just kill Saul. But be careful who you're getting your wisdom from. So maybe listen to godly counsel. <clears throat> Where could godly counsel come from, Tim? My wife. You guys. Hey, my wife. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> your, wife? your wife. Oh, my wife. <laughs> I think I think the greatest strength you have as a as a body of believers is each other. Turn your head and look to the left and right, and those are the people that you can consult with to help you to make good, godly, wise decisions. The people you shouldn't be consulting with is the world. Colleagues who are not saved, family that are not saved best-selling authors that love Oprah Winfrey but don't know the Bible from a hole in the ground. <clears throat> be very careful who you decide to immerse yourself in their teaching because you will become a part of it. The pickle analogy is perfect. You stick a cucumber in vinegar and salt and sugar and it becomes a pickle. No matter what you try and do, it becomes infused, it transforms itself into its surroundings. <clears throat> if you are surrounding yourself with garbage, you will become garbage. If you surround yourself with godly teaching, you are reading your Bible every day. Every day you're reading it. And every day you are talking to brothers and sisters in Christ about godly issues, and you are praying every day. You are suddenly baptizing yourself in righteousness and you become righteous. So that's it. Look, I got to do my soapbox, and then we're done. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.